morning's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. That can be found on page 1054 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Today, we want to place a great emphasis on investing in the future by teaching children. Let's take just a moment and listen to some really good reasons why we ought to be willing uh, to teach children. I like my teachers because they're fun and nice. The thing I like about Bible class is every time you do it, everybody is learning. And sometimes nobody is goofing off and everybody is paying attention. And what I like about my teacher is that they always are willing to teach us. Um, they teach me about Bible stories and they get to color and stuff. I like coming to Bible class because all my friends are there and they're very supportive of me. Isn't it exciting to think of the opportunity to invest in the next generation to perpetuate the Lord's church, to put more people into the kingdom of heaven by investing in the life of a child? We have a lot of teachers here, and we're thankful for every one of you. We have some that have taught for years and years, and, and there would be hundreds in this congregation that you've touched their lives. I love the uh, comment that Ms. Pat Huddleston, who has taught here for many years in third grade, she, she said one day she was trying to explain uh, to the students the difference in the Jews and the Gentiles. And finally, she summarized it by saying, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. A little child raised her hand and said, my mom and daddy are Republicans. <laughs> the opportunity to clarify things, the opportunity to give wisdom that can go beyond America and beyond this life is what we as teachers have the opportunity to do. Uh, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but let me give you a few important reminders. Uh, we've got a lot to cover, and so if, 
if I seem a little bit rushed this morning, I feel that way, but it's so much good stuff. So let's get our thinking caps on and let's jump into this and let's see what we can learn for the glory of God. First, some very important housekeeping things. If you're a guest, we want to invite you to be sure and come back next week. We have Friends Day taking place. The morning schedule will be the same, but in the afternoon, we'll be at four o'clock at Charlie Daniels Park and we'll enjoy a period of worship. And then at five o'clock, we'll enjoy a very simple, but yet a hot dog extravaganza. And then at uh, following that, we'll enjoy a lot of children's games and activities, even for adults that want to participate, but everybody just enjoying fellowship together. Keep in mind, now is the time to be inviting. I have to confess to you, I just gave my first invitation Friday. I was getting a little bit behind. Who have you invited? Make sure you invite somebody. Don't come to Friends Day without inviting somebody. Make a list of three or four people that you're going to invite. In addition to that, if you're on Facebook, be sure you go to the Mount Juliet Facebook and pull off the ad there that you can use in social media, whatever social media... Uh, means that you want to use and, and let's make sure if there's 500 of us that do that today or tomorrow and you have 100 friends, uh, that's 50,000 invites that have gone out just in the next few days. So make sure that you're at least doing that, but then be thinking and praying about who you can invite and who you want to touch with a wonderful invitation uh, to be with us on the wonderful day of Friends Day. It truly is a highlight of the year. What do you need to bring? If you're a guest, bring yourself. If you're a member, we're asking you to bring either cookies or brownies and then chips. That's it. Uh, if you could bring one of those two. Now, if it's not uh, good for you to go to Charlie Daniels at four o'clock, we will have the evening worship here at six. And so uh, we look forward to being together no matter where the location and let's do our part. Also, uh, keep in mind that next Sunday, We'll begin a new Bible class as we grow as a congregation. Obviously, there's always need uh, for new classes. And so we're thankful that we've reached a point that we really need another Sunday morning Bible class so that everybody can fit into Bible class. That's a wonderful thing. And so we're going to strive to start a class that's kind of like a melting pot. And what we mean by that, it's an it's a imitation, if you will, of, of the model of the melting pot or the manifold class, where it's not really a marriage class and it's not a singles class. It's just wherever you are in life, come to this class. Now, this class will pre predominantly be made up of 20s and 30s melting pot manifold style and so if you are in the 20s and 30s and you don't have a class home we want you to be sure and come next Sunday morning you go up the top of the steps and education wing it's the first classroom on your left it's 201 so if you don't have a class home please come and be a part of that Randy Duke will be the elder in that class shepherding that class and Tim Martin will be the teacher also there's a class that's meeting there this week that class is the manifold class that class will begin meeting next Sunday this week it'll be there next Sunday a week from now it'll be meeting in the senior citizen center on the main room just as you walk in the door so everybody else can eat their heart out everybody there gets to park within about 20 feet of your chair and so you just drive right over there park right in front of the center walk in and you're at your classroom and uh and so keep that in mind if you're in that class about that move next week keep in mind if you're looking for a class in the 2030 age that that would be a great class for you to go to that is starting there 
We're going to be talking about this this morning. We're having a children's education open house beginning this afternoon. As a matter of fact, there'll be two so that you can find one that is good for you. The first one will take place this afternoon at five o'clock in the upper fellowship room. And then the next one will be Wednesday, this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. And so if you have interest in teaching or you want anything updated where you've got questions, you want clarification, maybe you're an experienced teacher that hasn't taught at Mountain Juliet, maybe you've never taught and you think you'd like to learn something about teaching or maybe being assistant or a hall helper or, or whatever it might be, this is your opportunity to be face-to-face -face and spend some time with some individuals that can explain to you uh, the great way that you can help. God has great expectations for us. And one of the great expectations that we see from Old Testament to New Testament is the necessity for us to invest in the next generation. And so as we think about investing in the future, I want to encourage you to see the great need to teach children. Why? One reason why was clearly explained in a New York Times article uh, where it showed the development of the human brain. As you look at this uh, scan here, you'll notice uh, the scale, if you will. The red is the underdeveloped or I shouldn't say underdeveloped, it's just not matured. And then as it goes orange and yellow and green, that's kind of the midway of maturation. Then it goes blue and then purple is fully matured. At four years of age, you can see... <clears throat> that there's quite a bit of development already in some of the motor skills, especially the sensation of touch and of vision. But then when we go to six-year-old, the interesting thing is the physical brain is already 90% the size that it will be in adulthood, but yet there's still immaturity. If you'll notice there, the red in the area of language, and then it's in the area of reason, there's a lot of red and a lot of yellow, and that's why children six years of age still have a hard time communicating things, they have a hard time reasoning things. We fast forward to nine years of age, and we see that motoring skills are picking up. You see how it's starting to turn blue there, and uh, that that would involve the ability for them to write in cursive or to manipulate models or craft projects. On the right side, we also see uh, that there's development in the area that where math would function. Math and geometry are increasing by age nine. And 11 years old, we still see though there's still the green in the sense that it's just the middle. In other words, it's not mature yet. So that's why we see nine-year-olds, their judgment is not mature. Uh, it's because their brain is not mature in that area. Emotions are not mature at that age. You see there on the right-hand side, there's a lot of green there. And then in the back, you see, not in the middle, but to the edges of the back, you see that where logic would function is also a lot of green. There's a lot of immaturity there. And then we see by the age of 15, some of the gray matter is starting to disappear. And that's a term that's used there that I won't take time to explain it now. But there, this idea that specialization is starting to occur. In the teen years, an abundance of neural links continue to be discarded. Underused connections will die to help more active connections thrive. Now, what does that mean? On this next slide, I've got a quote. And, and I'm sorry it's blurry, but I just pulled it off of this website that was Hugs for Kids blog. And, and it's relating to this. In other words, what happens in the teen years when a child really uses their brain for a particular function? And what happens when they don't? the links between the neurons are starting to either be strengthened or broken depending on what is being used. So here's a quote. If a teen is doing music, sports, or academics, those are the connections that will be hardwired. 
If they're lying on the couch, playing video games or MTV, those are the cells and the connections that are going to survive. And so in that, we see the great importance of what are we putting in the lives of our children throughout their youth so that that knowledge is there, but then throughout their teen years so that it can be active so that that will become a part of the, quote, hard wiring of our young people. Now, when we go to 17 years of age, we see that much of it now is either green or blue or purple. Keep in mind, purple is the most mature. And so we see abstract thoughts are really starting to mature. By 21, though, what I'd really like for you to see here is, notice, there's still a lot of green and there's still a lot of blue. Yes, some of it is really going to purple, but even by the age of 21, the human brain is not mature. And, and so that's why uh, some of the most executive functions, especially like uh, the, the maturation that would deal with emotions and decision-making, they still are not fully mature. And so even though we oftentimes think of a 21-year-old being adult, uh, their ability to make decisions and, and to uh, handle emotions in a mature way have still not fully uh, arrived to what they can be later on into adulthood. And so here, here's an idea for some of our uh, ones that, that help in our education department. And this is a quote from uh, Christy Coleman who helps uh, in our, our department. She says, the brain decides where, which neural links to keep based on how frequently they are used and reinforced. Connections that are rarely called upon are eliminated. What does this mean for children's Bible teachers? We have a unique window of opportunity to greatly affect a child's spiritual life, to reinforce and strengthen parts of a child's brain where the message of God's love so that they hit this synoptic pruning, the connection will be strong and not lost. We realize that there are many factors as to how often this connection is reinforced at home and one-on-one relationships. But our prayer is that we have the highest quality children's Bible classes to do our part in helping children create a strong connection to God and his love. What a beautiful thought. Out of a lot of intentional evaluating, focusing, what should be the purpose of the education department, especially the children's education department at the Mount Juliet congregation? What should its purpose be? And here are three things that everybody involved, all of the teachers, all the assistants, all the ones that help lead. This is the primary goals of this department. Number one, plant the truth. Every Bible class ought to be just that, the opportunity to plant the word of God, the truth. Number two, to nurture godly relationships. If the truth is planted, we ought to learn more about God. We ought to learn more about God's family, the church. We ought to learn more about the physical family that God designed. And learning truth ought to strengthen all of those relationships. So we're not just doing an academic exercise. We're helping the children learn, age appropriate, how to take that, that learning of truth and then apply it to their day-to-day -day life relationships, but then notice especially the third one, cultivate spiritual growth. What is it that can be done with this truth in these relationships to live a spiritual life? Isn't it wonderful to think that that's what's happening twice a week right here at the Mount Juliet congregation with so many children and so many teachers and so many assistants. And for each one of those, we are really, really indebted. I'd like for you to look with me this morning, 2 Timothy, the third chapter. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice in verse 10, Paul knew something that 
I suppose any of us as parents and grandparents, we know it, but we hate to admit it. Uh, but I want to encourage you this morning to admit it. And, and it's going to be this simple. You can't stop evil from touching your child's life. You can't stop pain and injury from touching your child's life. And if your idea is a great parent is just going to be able to build uh, this shield and this umbrella and, and, and this little hedge that your child will never have to deal with those things, you're setting your child up not just for failure, you're setting them up for eternal destruction. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and I know at the point he's writing this, Timothy's not a little boy. I know that. But he has had uh, relationships in the sense that he knew his mother and his grandmother that was involved in his spiritual life from the time he was a little boy. And he came along in, in that older teen, young adult time of Timothy's life and he picked up as a spiritual teacher and encourager and he helped him along the way. And the reason I want you to note this passage, we're gonna get just a little bit later on, where he says to him, I'm taking you back to your childhood and the things that I'm talking with you about here. So if you look at this and say, but he's not talking to a little boy, Paul takes it back to a little boy. And so the first thing what you see here is in 10 11. Notice what he says. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life. This is Paul speaking to Timothy because remember he traveled with him on trips. So he saw, he heard his doctrine, his teaching regularly. He saw the manner of life he lived, the purpose of his life, the faith, the long suffering, the love, the perseverance. But notice, he also saw Paul go through a lot of persecution, affliction, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecution I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul's there. The first time that we know of Paul going through the Lystra area, which is where Timothy lived and his mother and grandmother lived, we see that in the 14th chapter at the first missionary journey. And it's on that journey, you remember, that he healed the crippled man, and it... it created a, the opportunity for him to teach, but then that created the jealousy and, and, and uh, Jews came in and they literally stoned him thinking he was dead. You can imagine each one grabbing a leg. They drug him out of the city, just threw him off the side. They thought he was dead. The Christians come around and they stand there and we don't know if the Lord resurrected him from the dead or if he was just unconscious, but he comes too and, and he's alive. That's how the church in Lystra meets Paul. It's like, hello, I'm a Christian and I'm here to encourage more of you to be Christians and to strengthen those of you are Christians. Oh, and by the way, look, you can die being a Christian. So the next time, the second missionary journey he comes through town, we see, and that was in the 14th chapter, in the 16th chapter, we see the church there encouraging Timothy. Really, they're encouraging Paul. They've already encouraged Timothy. They're encouraging Paul. Take note of that man. You ought to take him on the mission trip with you. And what's interesting is we don't see the mother and grandmother saying, no, no, we know what happens to you. You get stoned wherever you go. You get thrown in prisons wherever you go. Don't take our little boy with you. See, they weren't trying to stop him from being injured. They weren't trying to stop him from evil surrounding him. They had already equipped him with what he needed to be able to handle any situation that he had been in. Look in the third chapter in verse 12, as we continue this thought that we can't stop our children uh, from having evil touch their life. 2 Timothy 3 and 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly. How many, Paul? All. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
You know, we live in a world where physically, naturally, if we're good parents, we want to protect our child as much as possible from a physical standpoint. And so, you know, if you go and listen to Dr. Phil, you can go on his website and there are many articles that give some really good guidance about how you can protect your child from physical harm that might be around in the neighborhood or in their schools. Or many of us remember the days where we didn't really know what a child safety cap was on medicine. And now we know it's what kids can open and adults can't. But you know the purpose that's behind that. And then many of us remember the days where we didn't even buckle anybody in the car. And now there's a special apparatus to buckle children in so that they are kept extremely safe. And we're thankful for that. All of us have seen situations where our children are about to go into water and, and we make sure that all the precautions are taken. Is there a lifeguard there? Is there going to be someone watching you constantly? We understand what it is to say, I love you, I care for you, and I want to protect you. So what was it that Paul was telling Timothy when he says, on one hand, I can't keep evil away from you. I can't keep people from lying to you and harming you in that way if you believe their lies. But you know what he says? I can give you an undisputable solution as you're confronting evil and as you're having people lie to you. Will you look with me now as we go to 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I'd like you to notice on this first slide here, we left something out intentionally. Let's read it without being left out. And so I'm asking you to look at the screen and not at your Bible at this time. Notice on the screen it says, but you must continue in, hmm, I wonder what he supposed, he's going to say we need to continue in, because here's what it's going to be able to do, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So he said, Timothy, you're going to go through persecution. You're going to have a lot of lies being told to you. You're going to have imposters stand up and tell you who they are, but they're not really that. I want to give you something that if you take hold of this, they can't take away your salvation because you're going to be wiser than them. You're going to have truth on your side. You're going to have everything that you need to face the hardship. And so now let's fill in the blank. This is what he needs. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, do you remember when you were young and you were taught the Holy Scriptures? You continue in those Holy Scriptures, and it doesn't matter what evil comes, you just keep living what the Scripture says. It doesn't matter what imposter comes, you decide whether or not they're a true apostle or whether or not they're teaching the truth. You base it on what the Holy Scriptures teaches you. In other words, the Holy Scripture will help you be wise to salvation. And it is interesting today that probably the most deceptive thing taught today is about salvation. Isn't it interesting how many people today do not teach simply what the book of Acts teaches on salvation? How would our children be wise to salvation so that they could know what the Lord teaches and not what those that would be imposters or those that are being deceptive, whether it's intentional or unintentional, they're being deceptive in what they're teaching. The only way our children can know that is if they know the Holy Scriptures. And, and so I, I think about, isn't it interesting that we go into Bible class and we teach our children about God being the God of creation. Do you realize that's the same scripture that his mother and grandmother would have taught him? Isn't that cool to think about? Our kids go into Bible class or you as mothers or fathers or grandparents teach your children. And it's the very same scripture that Timothy was being taught that whenever Paul said, 
you remember what you were taught in your childhood. That's what you continue to practice. Or, and, and by the way, what I'm about to do is give you a quick outline. In, in verse 16, when he says what the scriptures is profitable for, he says it's profitable for doctrine, that's teaching. And for reproof, that's identifying what's wrong. And for correction, that's how you change what is wrong. And for instruction in righteousness sake. So how do we know what to believe about teaching? Well, if you believe that God is the creator, he is the authority, he's the one we should listen to. But he also would have had the opportunity to see and learn, can something actually be wrong? And if so, what is wrong? His parents, his mother and grandmother would have taught him about the flood in Genesis, the sixth chapter. And he would have learned that there is evil and, and that we need to be able to identify evil because there is a lot of problems if somebody starts living an evil life. Or they would have also taught him about Daniel, the fourth chapter. And they would have taught him about Nebuchadnezzar and about the need to make correction in your life. Remember, at first he didn't want to make correction. And so he was punished by God. And then his, his humility, he came to understanding and he came back to God. He learned how to correct that. Or they would have taught him the last part of Genesis, the story of Joseph. One of the most righteous men we read about in the scripture. They would have taught him, this is what a man looks like when he lives in the paths of righteousness. This is how he deals with, with injury whenever he didn't deserve it. This is how he deals with brothers that on one hand he might want to seek vengeance, but instead he forgives. Now with that in mind, I'd like for you to notice again, verse 14 and 15, as we think about Timothy needing to remember not just the undisputable answer, but isn't it interesting that Paul felt the need to emphasize, I also want you to know the source of this undisputable answer. Why, why is that important? Well, let's go back to this and let's think about it. Look again, you see there in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 where the highlighted part there says, knowing from whom you've learned them. Now, this is from his childhood, the Holy Scriptures. Where did he learn it? On this next slide, we see four sources that we know that Timothy learned this. Number one, we know from 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5 that from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, it was from their genuine faith that he learned genuine faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so Paul knows, I know your parents. So what should that tell him? Well, Timothy, if your mother and grandmother followed this faith, and that was the source. You, 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 you got to receive that in your life as a source of your faith. What kind of life did it produce in them? Maybe if you want the kind of life they had, maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know why, but lately my grandparents have been on my mind a lot. And I think a lot about how my grandmother, and in this example, my mother and, and her mother, and even for studying for this lesson, I've thought recently a lot about I'd like to have faith like she had. I'd like to have the faith like my mother had and has. Where did that faith come from? That faith comes from the fact that my grandmother and my mother lived the holy word of God. And if I want to have the same kind of faith they have, I go back to the same source that they went back to. And you see what Paul is telling Timothy? Paul is telling him, look, you remember, you know your mother and your grandmother. You know what kind of faith they have. You know the source of that. Go back to it. Or he could go back to the church there at Lystra where he grew up. In, in, in Acts the 16th chapter, they loved Paul there. They nurtured Paul. And when it came the opportunity for him to grow even more through a missionary trip, they were the ones that setting it up. They were the ones encouraging, Paul, you need to take that young man. 
Go back and read that in Acts 16. It's very brief, but it's beautiful how he had a church around him. Think about our children that grow up here. And think about what they see in a church family. And maybe they leave home and they think, I want faith like my church family had. Well, you know where that came from? The source was from the Holy Word of God. Our young people are going to know that. And so they're going to know, if I want faith like that, I know where it came from. Or the example of Paul. Paul invested immensely in him. In Philippians, the second chapter, he makes it very clear that his investment in him was that he was one that did ministry in the gospel and he encouraged Timothy to do ministry in the gospel. In other words, it goes back to the death, the burial, the resurrection, the beautiful gospel story. And then finally, all three of these. What are all three of these ultimately pointing to? Do you remember in verse 16 where he tells us that all scripture, it's right here in our text, in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is given of what? Of inspiration of God. You see, ultimately, the source of this faith is God. And we read the message of God in his holy word. And so his mother and grandmother was trying to take him back to the word of God. They taught him scriptures from his childhood. His church, he saw a faith that went back to the message of God. He saw in Paul a minister that always went back to the message of God. And now that same man is encouraging Timothy. You, I can't stop the evil from coming in your life. I can't stop imposters. I can't stop persecution. But if I can remind you of what you need to go back to continually. And that is to the holy word of God. And what's the result going to be? You see there in... And 14 and 15, the result of it, we've already mentioned it would make you wise for salvation, but now drop down, and um, I've got the wrong reference at the top of that slide, but drop down to verse 17. Notice what he says. He's just spoken 17 about the word of God being profitable, and then in, in 16, and then in 17 he says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do we want our young people to be equipped and ready for life? Do we want them to be equipped and ready for eternal life? The Holy Scriptures does that. You know, I, I've had kids to leave home recently, and that makes you do a lot of evaluation in, in your parenting as they're about to leave home. And, and it's wonderful to be able to take solace in the fact to say, you know what, I know the things that matter the most I've equipped them for simply from the fact that they've had a wonderful church family. They've had wonderful grandparents and, and a wonderful mother and they've had individuals in their life that have gone around them and all of those together have continually pointed them back to the Holy Scriptures. And I remember Colton, my first child that got married, I remember thinking, is he ready to be a husband? And is, is he ready to, to lead a family? Is he ready to go out and make a living? And I remember thinking about that and then just, just breathing a sigh of relief. Think, isn't it awesome? I know he's ready because he lives by the Holy Word of God. And the Holy Word of God equips us for every good work. It's the Holy Word of God that teaches us how to be a husband. It's the Holy Word of God that teaches us how to be a good employee. It's the Holy Word of God that teaches us how to be a good parent, a good neighbor, to be a good citizen. And to think that when we invest in the life of our children, we are equipping them for every good work if we're taking them back to Scripture. And so as we think about this, I'd like, now, remember 
I've told you, we're trying to accomplish something, so I don't want your mind to cut off, because a lot of time when I say what we learned today, that's when you think we're about to sing a song of invitation. Give me just a few minutes after this, because we've got, here's what we learned at Mount Juliet. If we express to Mount Juliet a need, Mount Juliet always arises. And so I'm going to give you three things we learned today to then tell you about a need that we have, okay? Number one, think how many children cannot continue in the things learned because they've never been taught it in the first place. Isn't that sad? Think how many children right around us, they can't continue in the scriptures because they've never been taught the scriptures. Our children are blessed. And many of you are part of that blessing. Number two, imagine youth that are wise to salvation and equipped for every good work. How strong are they? If they really are, if they really are wise to salvation and equipped for every good work, think how strong they are. There's nothing life can bring them that they can't handle. How awesome is that? That's, that's how complete the Holy Word of God is. And so when we allow God's will to equip us, we're that equipped. It's not to say we won't have problems, we won't have challenges, but we have the solutions within the Holy Will of God. Number three, you know the power of a soul who knows God and surrenders to him, don't you? I mean, that's what we're all about. I want to know God. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know what it's like to surrender my will to him completely. And I want to help somebody else do that because that's what it's all about on this earth, eternal life. So what can you do? How can you help? A great and wonderful need that we have in two-year-old through fifth grade. We're not saying the other ages aren't important. Please don't misunderstand that. We're telling you right now of a specific need we have. From two-year-old to fifth grade, we need teachers. Just in that one age block, just two-year-old through fifth grade, it takes 52 teachers and helpers every week. Now think about this. For good reason, for good reason, many people only teach one quarter a year. There's eight quarters when you take four Sunday morning and four Wednesday night. And we need 52 a week. And some say, I can teach a quarter and that's good and we're thankful. And we're not trying to twist anybody's arm to teach more than a quarter. But do you see the math? What we need is we need everybody that has a heart to teach, the ability to teach, the past experience to teach, and or be an assistant. This is coming from David. This didn't come from the education department. I want to encourage you to teach at least one quarter a year. Our children deserve that. Our children deserve the investment that you can make in them. If every teacher here that has experience in that age group or wants to learn and gain experience from two-year-old to fifth grade, if everybody in this congregation that is equipped to do that said, I I'll take a quarter. You pick which is best for you, Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Is, is winter better for you or is summer better for you? You pick which quarter is yours and you let them know and you think if every one of us does that, there's going to be the appropriate rotation that needs to be. And that investment in our children will be there. And we suspect that there will be several that will say, 
I just don't know what is involved in this. I don't know if I can do it. That's what these open houses are for. Please understand, these open houses are not to twist your arm. There's not going to be anybody there twisting your arm. It's so that you can ask honest questions and you can give honest concerns and, and you can figure out. Nobody goes into a class having to write their lesson themselves, having to get everything together. Right here is a notebook that you will receive and it has every lesson written out plus options of things that you can do to either illustrate the lesson or to illustrate the, the actual Bible story or to illustrate the application. And if there are things that are needed to do that, they're already made. They're already in your class. Listen, there have been hours and hours of prep for every class. What we need now are teachers that will invest in taking a lesson that is prepared and then working with that. If you're sitting on the end of the pew, there should be some yellow cards or on the other side, there'll be purple. It's all the same card. If you will, take it and pass it down. When you've passed it all the way down, if you will, then return them back to the ends for next service. If you will notice, on one side it says visitor information card. If you have a child that is not in Bible class on Sunday or Wednesday, we're begging you to read about the information that is offered to your child. We believe that it is rich enough, it can make a difference in their spiritual life. And so we want you to read that. And then if you have any questions about the Bible classes, we want you to know we want your child in Bible class. We'd love to have you in adult class somewhere. Now, on the other side though, you'll see it says children's education. And the flip side of this card is an effort to try to answer and or give you information about the Bible classes, and especially this age of two-year-old through fifth grade and the needs that are there. You'll notice we need teachers, we need assistants. We also need substitutes. We also need someone to just work the hallway, uh, helping those that need to go to the restroom or, or, or outside the class. We need help in resource room and decoration and then restocking the classes, etc. When we think about the opportunities that God gives us, I want to encourage you to think about Romans 12 and verse 6 where he tells us if we have this gift differing according to the graces that is given to us, let us use them. And then when we go down to the end of verse 7, he says, he who teaches in teaching. Isn't that kind of common sense? God, I know you've given me the ability to teach. Can I ask you, what would you want me to be doing? I says, okay, I've, I've given you the ability to teach. I think what I'd like for you to be doing is teach. And if God's given you that ability, he's given you the opportunity now, and we'd really like for you to do that. The lesson that, that focuses on this, we would be really sorely amiss if we did not take the time at the close of this lesson to say to all of you teachers, nursery, all the way up to adulthood and everybody in adulthood, huge thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know if you've ever tried to contemplate what it would be like in the Lord's church to not have good Bible classes. I know for me growing up, I had good parents that taught me a lot of scripture, but I want to tell you something. I learned a lot that I know today in Bible class. And I'm sure a lot of you sitting here could say, you know, that's true for me too. A lot of what I know about scripture, I've learned in Bible class. Listen, we want to make that investment for the next generation until the Lord comes again. And so at the information center, there is a display and there will be people there to answer questions. Tara Johnson, Christy Coleman, and Tim Martin 
are all working with this particular age group. They'll be there to answer questions. And if, if you want to just drop by and say, hey, here's my name and number, call me or I'll be in touch with you. I definitely want to help. Or maybe you just want to wait and come to the open house and learn more. Please, please, let's all do what we can do so that then no one has to say, wow, I'm going to have to teach for years with no break. We don't want that for anyone. And so let's all do our part. And, uh, and what a blessing it is to help children. I wish we had a lot more time to share some of the neat stories about helping children. Uh, but I'll close with this one. Luke, the 18th chapter, says that people were bringing infants. And the disciples rebuked them because they were trying to bring the infants to Jesus. And they rebuked them and they sent them away. But before they could get them away, Jesus stopped them. He said, bring the children here. And he brought the children into his arms. And that's another occasion where he says, and such is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to enjoy eternal life, the kingdom of heaven? We have to become like a child. We have to humbly surrender and say, God, I want you to be my father and I want to be your child. Thank God he's willing to save us and all that he's willing to offer for eternity. And how wonderful it is he lets us teach the next generation those wonderful truths. This morning, if you need to be restored, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you want to be immersed into Christ, we would be honored to assist you with that if we can help you in any